In chapter three, we meet another of the central characters, Prince Andrei Belkonsky. But first, back to the soiree. I love the language that Tolstoy uses. He writes the spindles hummed steadily and ceaselessly on all sides. The patrons, the elite from St. Petersburg society, settled into three basic groups. The first group of chiefly men gathered around an Italian noble. A second, a mixed group of young people gathered around the most beautiful woman in St. Petersburg, which is Elaine, Prince Vasily's daughter. The young Princess Lise is also part of this group. Princess Lise is the wife of Andrei Belkonsky, and it is Andrei's struggles that form the center of this novel. A third group is led by Anna and a man of French origin. He is an expat, a nobleman, and called the Vicomte. The Vicomte is quite conceited and thinks of himself as something of a celebrity. The beautiful Elaine is called over by Anna, and this gives Elaine a chance to parade herself throughout the entire room. Elaine is dressed in the fashion of the time. She has a gorgeous dress which actually bears a lot of skin. She also sports a large diamond necklace and her hair is all glossed up. She is presented as the definition of perfection and she turned every head in the room. One of Anna's goals in getting Elaine to come over to her group was so Elaine could hear a story from the Vicomte that was meant to really put down Napoleon. At this point, we are also introduced to Hippolyte, who is Elaine's brother. Hippolyte is described as looking like Elaine, but apparently for a man, that's not a very attractive quality. Tolstoy describes Hippolyte as exceedingly ugly, which is a bit harsh. Hippolyte carries a thin and weak build, and he wears a dull expression. Hippolyte is actually not a major character in the book, but his two siblings are. Hippolyte makes some type of comment about the upcoming story from the French expat that the guests really can't tell if it's sarcastic or not, and it kind of leaves everybody confused. Finally, the story is told, and it's about Napoleon, and it's intended to make him look feeble and vindictive. Namely, the story involves Napoleon falling into some type of fainting fit at the sight of a romantic rival. The rival, seeing Napoleon powerless on the floor, showed mercy and left. And how did Napoleon repay this act of honor when he came around? Simply by having his rival killed. The rival was a historic figure, Louis Antoine, who was not a romantic rival, but was a political rival. In the midst of this story, Anna pays special attention to what Pierre Bezukhov is up to. Pierre is listening to the Italian noble who's speaking about the balance of power in Europe and Russia's place in it. In simple terms, there's a lot of political talk going on. The Italian is advocating that Russia could help bring about a lasting peace in Europe by putting itself at the head of an alliance. That alliance, or coalition, would direct its efforts against the French Republic. At this point, Prince Andrei Belkonsky makes his entrance to the novel and the party. He is handsome, well-dressed, of a medium build, and along with Pierre Bezukhov is one of the main characters. Andrei's reserved demeanor is contrasted with the liveliness of his young pregnant wife. Andrei is not happy to see who's there, he's not happy to discuss the issues of the day, and he's least happy to see his wife. Essentially, he's not appreciative of her, nor is he all too excited about becoming a father. Prince Andrei greets Anna, 
the hostess and informs her he is going off to war as an assistant to General Kutuzov. General Kutuzov was the real-life leader of one of Russia's greatest military victories, which is immortalized later in this book. He's a historical figure who is known from losing a number of very significant battles, but coming back from that and winning an even more important one. In American military history, you could perhaps compare him to George Washington or Douglas MacArthur. At one point, Pierre spots the prince, and Pierre happens to be the one person that André is happy to see. Here, the two main characters meet for the first time. Pierre has the gift of being able to bring a natural smile to a man who doesn't smile all that much. Pierre invites himself to supper with his old friend, and the two agree to a more private reunion. Just then, Prince Vasily, Elaine's father, seizes the moment to leave the party. As Vasily passes with his daughter, both Prince André and Pierre notice how lovely she is. Elaine, at this point, wouldn't be expected to give Pierre a look or the time of day because he's the illegitimate son of a wealthy count. But things will change. Prince Vasily reveals that Pierre has been staying at his estate for approximately a month since Pierre got back from his studies in Europe. And he tells Anna, upon leaving, perhaps jokingly, to have Pierre entertained with the society of some clever women. Now for some context on Chapter 3, and it is primarily going to deal with that story about Napoleon that was kind of glossed over. First, it's very easy to see what type of event was being hosted. The party does reach its climax in this chapter, and also the first notable guests start to leave by the end. Let's go back to that French nobleman. He's called the Vicomte which is an honorable title. He left France sometime during the revolution when a lot of royalists were fleeing the country. The French Revolution was a period in history where society was turned on its head in shockingly unpredictable ways. A number of nobles who found an exit found that Russia was very welcoming. They had a big appetite for French culture at the time. The story that the noblemen told referenced the historical figure of Louis-Antoine de Bourbon, a relative of the Bourbon monarchs. I know my pronunciation of a lot of these French names is pretty bad, so I apologize. Louis was actually quite famous for his death more than any of his varied accomplishments in his life. Louis was never a romantic rival, but he was a significant political rival to Napoleon and the French Republic. He was executed on charges of plotting against the Republic and trying to restore the monarchy. Louis was accepting aid and funds from the Republic's enemy, Britain, at the time. The execution took place in March of 1804, and European royalty was really affected by this transgression. Louis and members of his family left France shortly after the storming of the Bastille, so he really left at the right time. He was a capable military leader who was a part of a number of unsuccessful invasions of the Republic. The execution was quite harsh in many respects, but it did likely have the effect that Napoleon wanted. By virtue of executing this one individual, it stopped much of the internal conflict within France that were threats to the government. For Louis's hereditary line, this was the most 
most harsh because he was the last remaining legitimate heir in his family. Louis Antoine was also called the Duke of Angon, and that's perhaps how I'll refer to him for the rest of this story. The Duke was staying in a town that was just outside the east border of the French Republic. This is in what would be modern-day Germany today. Specifically, he was staying in Ettenheim. Napoleon had somehow found out the Duke was staying there and had him seized. It was likely a wise military decision. Relatively quickly, Napoleon had the Duke tried before a military commission and the Duke was ultimately shot before a French firing squad at about 3 a.m. in the morning at the bottom of a castle. The Duke acted very honorably at this military commission. He acknowledged that his birth and his views made him an enemy of the current French Republic, and he also conceded accepting funds for the purposes of overthrowing the French government from France's enemies, mainly Britain. He was brought up on specific charges of accompanying specific royalists to travels to and from France meant to encourage insurrection. This the Duke was almost certainly not guilty of. Nevertheless, he was found guilty based upon his past and most importantly, his current attitude toward the French Republic. He always remained at the ready to lead or assist any armed invasion of France and he was also known for advocating for Napoleon's death. So this execution doesn't appear to be bloodlust on the part of Napoleon. It was more of seeing a very capable threat and neutralizing it. The politically intriguing affair was reduced to something of a joke at the party depicted in the first few chapters of War and Peace. Yet the tale makes clear of how Napoleon was thought about by his enemies. Sometimes not of this military genius, but of as this petty, feeble, and vindictive person. And more importantly, a force that needs to be stopped. So ultimately, the Duke did die honorably, and got a reference in the great book. That's enough for now. We'll have further time to get into a greater analysis of Prince André in the coming chapters. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm Sean Roman for Podnotes on War and Peace.